But grab your Bible, if it's, if it's near you, grab it and open up to the book of Psalms chapter 23. Psalms chapter 23. We're going to pray a prayer and then we're going to uh, get into this word. But uh, guys, I just believe that God's going to do something. I feel him. I'm just kind of messed up. I'm just wrecked right now and just don't want to do anything he doesn't want me to do or say anything he doesn't want me to say. But I want you to close your eyes all over this place. And go to that place where decisions are made. Because I believe that God's wanting to speak to you. And if you're willing to say, I want God to speak to me. And I want his word to be applied to my life. I want you to raise one hand towards heaven. Just volunteering. And with your hand raised, say this with me. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Today, today is my day. Is my day. Speak to me. Speak to and me. transform me. Transform by your word. By your Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Ears to hear. Ears to hear. And a heart and a mind. And a heart and a mind. That's ready. Ready, willing, willing, and able, and able to believe and receive, to believe and receive every word every that word you would speak you into our existence. Into our existence. We, give we give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. To do, what only you can do. But from this moment on, from this moment you have my attention. You have my attention. So have your way. So have your way. In, In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now let's read this real quick. Psalms chapter 23, verses 1. I'm going to ask you to all kind of say it with me. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me say, let's say it one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation says it this way. I lack nothing. How many of you had that translation? I lack nothing. Look at the person next to you and say, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Now, if you're married, look at your spouse and say, you lack nothing. If you're single, say, I lack nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We lack nothing. Lack nothing. You know, that is one of the most quoted scriptures in funerals. And it talks about how when we walk through the valley of death, we will fear no evil. But it talks about how that we don't walk through that valley alone, but we have this shepherd. And when we have this shepherd, he, he gives us everything we need, right? But I want, I want a key. I really want to preach on one word this morning. And I promise you, if you're anything like the first service or in other services where I may have preached this word, you're going to look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. A little confused. But if you'll stick with me, I promise you, it'll all begin to unfold and be unveiled towards the end. But I want to preach to you on that word nothing. Because I really do believe that it is one of the greatest things that God can do in and through our lives. Turn in your Bible just a few pages over to Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24. As you're flipping to Luke chapter 24. And, and, and is, is it Laramie Christian Church? Is that the one that's with us? Christian Center. Christian Center. Where are you guys at? Man, thank you guys for being here. I absolutely love when the kingdom comes together. You know, I was, I was confirmed Catholic. And uh, I grew up Catholic, and the Catholic priests tell you that once you're Catholic, you're always Catholic if you're confirmed. And so I just look at it like I may be in a different neighborhood in heaven, 
But that Catholic church neighborhood is going to get a little bit loud when I get there. I'm just going to let you all know. It don't matter what you call yourself. Just don't be there. Don't be late in getting there. Amen? Just be there. Be there. Don't not be there. <clears throat> I was in Alabama. And, and I told this in the, the, the latter part of the first service. But I was in Alabama. I preached full time. This is what we do for a living. Thank you for your generosity and giving. It's, it's not what paid us to be here. It's what's helping us go to the next place. And so thank you for your generosity. But I was in Alabama and I've been preaching youth camps for a long time. That's where I actually met your pastors. And um, this summer I've, I've actually accomplished preaching over 200 youth camps. I have preached 200 youth camps. That just means I'm old. And, and I love teenagers. And so, but I was in Alabama and I walked in. I don't know if you've ever had this encounter, but I walked in with my son and, and we walked into this service. It's the very beginning of the service. And it was probably, I mean, it was, there was about 700 teenagers there. And I, I, number one, you get that many teenagers that are going after God. There's some electricity in the atmosphere. It's, it's pretty awesome. But I walked in, and in this particular sanctuary, there's a, there's a balcony, and it was overlooking all the teenagers. And there were some teenagers in the balcony because they had ran out of room on the floor. And, and I walked in, and my son looks at me, Pastor Matt, and he looked at me, and he said these words. He said, can you feel that? And I said, well, feel what? And he was like, I feel God in this place. And I said, son, I feel that. I said... I don't know if you've ever had that moment when if you had hair, it stand up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know, I mean, it stood up and fell out. It just fell out. We had to cover it up with blankets. Um, but I just, I could sense there was such an anticipation and expectation. And I get up and I preach. And while I'm preaching, kids are just weeping and God's just moving. Well, I give an altar call for salvation. Kids come forward, about over 150 kids come forward and, and they're just standing in the altars and then all of a sudden the altars are just cramped packed with people and I, and I just felt like the Lord told me to tell them to just no matter where they were just to begin to worship just begin to worship it's not pr about praying a certain prayer just, just begin to worship don't ask God for a certain thing just begin to worship and all of a sudden there was this young lady in that service who was 17 years old she starts worshiping I mean just I didn't hear her sing I didn't hear what she was saying but I heard her start screaming. I mean, screaming bloody murder. And, and I saw, you know, because that's what we happens when things kind of get a little weird in the charismatic church. You kind of usher them out and bring them to the back or whatever. But I saw these youth pastors kind of usher her towards the back. I didn't hear anything about it. Didn't know what happened. Well, I get a Facebook message about two months ago from the youth pastor and then he had forwarded over a, a, a letter that she had wrote. And basically what had occurred was during worship, she had her hands raised and she was just worshiping. And all of a sudden she said her whole side felt like it was on fire. That she starts screaming because it was, she said it was unpleasant. It felt like it was burning. Well, she knew what it was like to be burned because when she was 14 years old, her and a bunch of teenagers, because you no know, teenagers do young and dumb things, they were jumping over a bonfire. And she was, went to jump, and she tripped and fell into it. And her entire side was burned. She fell into the hot coals and the, and, and the wood that was on fire, and it burned her whole side so that she had third-degree burns all over her right side. But during worship, while she was worshiping, she said she felt this pain. like it was. She knew what fire burning felt like, and she said it felt like that again. 
Well, they took her to the nurse, and as the nurse was kind of just diagnosing the situation, she had all the, the men leave, and she said, well, just show me. Maybe you got a rash. Maybe something's got infected or something. Just show me where it hurts. And the little girl pulled up her shirt, and she said, it's right Where'd they go? Where, where, where they go? And the lady's like, well, what are you talking about? And she goes, I had third degree burns all over my side. And they're not there. There's nothing there. The doctor, the, 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 she went to her doctor and the doctor said, listen, I don't, can't explain it. Your skin rejuvenates, but not like that. And he said that you have experienced a miracle. And I, I loved how this innocent 17-year-old uh, girl wrote. She said, I'd send you a picture, but that probably wouldn't be <laughs> proper. And I was like, I appreciate it. I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> she said nothing was there. I think a lot of us don't understand the importance of nothing. And I want to talk to you on that topic Flip with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read the first one, then I'm going to give you a little bit of understanding. The first verse says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now let me give you a little bit of understanding what was going on. <clears throat> there were these women that had prepared some spices for the tomb of Jesus. But what was really going on is there was this, this, this Jesus, this, this, this man that was birthed into this world, that upon his arrival into this world, the heavens declared his majesty, that a star appeared, that shepherds began to come and lay down spices, all because of this child, that this child disrupted nature, that this child disrupted this earth by just stepping foot. All of a sudden, as he began to grow at the age of 12 years old, he steps in a synagogue and teaches as one who has authority. At 12 years old, he speaks for things with one who has great education, but only as a child. His parents even marveled and said, they, they, it says that they, they kept these things to them, but they never forgot. This kid who grew up into a man who that went to a, 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 a minister to be water baptized, it says that when he came up out of the water, heaven opened up and a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove rested upon him. A man who, before he started his ministry, his mom, because moms can make you do stuff even when you're not supposed to be. Mom comes and says, listen, I need you. They've run out of wine and I need you to do something. And he said, it is not my time. And she says, just do whatever he says. And all of a sudden he takes water and he makes it the greatest of wines. Amen. Miracles began to occur. He began to pick the misfits. And confusion began to enter in the earth. And what I mean by confusion is imagine the religious people that had studied the coming of the, of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah, that he was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Roman rule and place Israel where they needed to be in leadership. Because they were God's children, but Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come to throw, overthrow the Roman rule. He came to overthrow darkness. He came humbly. He came as a servant. And, and there was this confusion that's going on. And, and what religion didn't understand is how could he pick the misfits that he picked? Mm -hmm. 
fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, to come and be his disciples? Why didn't he pick the religious, the educated, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin? Those are the ones that God was supposed to use, not these guys. The confusion that must have been going on, and then all of a sudden, things kept on going. I mean, he would be allowed, he would allow himself to be touched by people that shouldn't even be in the same room as the so-called Messiah. A woman who was an adulterer, a, a, a prostitute, he didn't judge. The scripture says that you're supposed to condemn the adulterer, but when the adulterer or the adulteress was thrown into the midst of it, he turned the attention away from her and began to write in the sand. And one of the things that I love is theologians say that he began to write the names possibly of everybody that was standing there and their sins. So that they no longer looked at someone else, but they looked at themselves and said, I can't throw sin. He knows about what I'm doing. Imagine the confusion as it ever increased that Jesus starts talking crazy. I don't know if you've ever studied the scriptures, but as he got closer to his death, he started talking crazy. He started saying things like the son of man will be like Jonah who will suffer and go into the belly of the whale and resurrect and come forth after three days out of the belly of the earth. And he says things like he's going to be turned over to the hands of sinners. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. But on the third day that he would raise to life again, he said that they would destroy the temple, but in three days he would rebuild it. This confusion going, who do you think you are? And what are you talking about? So much so that this man by the name of Peter looks at him and says these words, that can't be so. We're not going to allow it to happen. G Peter corrects Jesus. Peter says, it's, I don't know what you're saying, but that can't be accurate. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks at Peter and he calls him Satan and says, get behind me. And then all of a sudden, it gets really confusing. Jesus gets arrested. God gets arrested. All these lies and these, 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 these claims about him, but now he's being led away. A man that has never hurt a person is being led away in chains and he is being placed and being ridiculed. He's being mocked. He's being spat upon. Jesus, the son of God, God, all God, all man is being punched. How could God let this happen? And then take it even a step further. All of a sudden, Jesus is turned over to the Roman government. Wait a second. The Messiah is supposed to overthrow the Roman government, but now he's subject to it. And they condemn him to death. They put a crown of thorns where it tears his brow, and they put this robe, this, 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 this violet robe over him to mock him. And then it goes even further. Imagine... God, because let me explain something. The disciples and the people that followed him, these women that prepared these spices, believed that he was the Messiah. How could the Messiah now be led into a place and public place and him be stripped and now be beaten? How does God get beat? How does God get punished? How is God humiliated? They watch, imagine the confusion that increases as they watch his skin being torn. And yet, he's not doing anything. Surely, if he's God, he could call down angels. Surely, he could call down fire. But why is God not doing anything? Why is Jesus the Savior not doing anything? Why 
Is he doing nothing? And then it goes even further and they put this, this, this lumber upon his shoulder and they parade him through the streets. Streets that just a week earlier they were crying out Hosanna and now they're screaming crucify. And they bring him to a mountain and they nail him to a cross. He takes the place of the worst of the worst criminals at that time. He takes his cross and now God's hands and feet are being nailed to a cross. How is God allowing this to happen and doing nothing about it? They raise him between two thieves. And imagine the confusion. Can you feel it? I mean, let's just be honest. These, the, his disciples, the people that believed in him, how could this be? But here, here this is where the confusion hits an all-time high. God dies? Well, wait a second. God is in the beginning. He'll be the end. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the A, the Z, the front, the back, the in, the out, the left, the right, the top, the bottom, the here and now, and the there and then. How does God die? But yet God dies. His hot heart's no longer beating. His lungs are no longer breathing. How did God die? Imagine the confusion. But now they take his, his lifeless body. They wrap it up. And they take it to a tomb. And they throw this heavy stone. So that nobody can touch the body. And now these women who had followed Jesus every day. Now let me explain something. These disciples did not wake up and say, we're going to do something. They didn't have any other plans. These women didn't have any other plans other than to follow Jesus and do whatever he said to do. Wherever he went, they were going. And they did this for, for a couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, imagine waking up. Confusion? Are you kidding me? What do I do today? What, what am I supposed to do? Jesus has not only been taken from me, but now Jesus is dead. What are we supposed to do now? Well, let's go visit his body. Let's get as close to him physically as we can. So they prepare these spices. And as they get to the tomb, imagine how now their confusion even increases as they see the stone removed. I, I, I'm not going to put words in their mind. I'm just going to put myself in the situation. I'd be thinking, now what? Are you still... The, 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 I'm already hurting. I'm already broken. I'm already confused. I'm already lost. And now, what did they do? Are you kidding me? And they walked past this, this stone that's been rolled away. I don't know what they did with their, their herbs. I don't know what they did with their fragrant frankincenses. I don't know what they did with the things that the spices that they prepared. But they walk in and they find that there's nothing in the tomb. And, and, and now imagine they're sitting there and they're going, wait, wait. They took Jesus away. I have nowhere to go. I can't experience him. I can't see him. I can't hear him. But now I can't even visit his body. I can't even mourn. Confusion. And it says this, and this is where we're going to begin to read. It says, they found that the stone had been remote, rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about these things, how many of you would be wondering? <laughs> like, what in the world? Okay. While they were wondering about these things, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood besides them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Can I tell you that life was given a name? 
Life was given a personality, a character. Life was given a face. And they, these angels, and the reason they were glowing, they didn't have LED, they didn't have some, some pixie dust, they didn't have some glitter on them. They had just been in the presence of Almighty God. And they were sent to release news that he was alive. And these women are in these presence of these angels. Imagine now these angels are a little bit confused. Like, wait a second. Why are you looking for him here? He is not here. You're looking for life in dead places. You're looking for life in dead things. You're not going to find life here. He is not here. He has risen. But watch this. They said, don't you remember? Remember what he told you. How he told you that while he was still with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered. What does that mean? You know what I found out? A lot of times we'll forget what God has said because of what we're walking through. <laughs> what am I talking about? Do you remember when Jesus gets in the boat in Mark chapter 4? He gets in the boat and he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. They get in the boat. They're going the other side of wind and waves come in and they begin to sink. Right. And all of a sudden they find Jesus asleep on the bow of the boat. And they said, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, the problem was Jesus says, you have little faith, right? Yeah. What had happened? They forgot what he said. What did he say? Let's go to the other side. When did God lie? Whether we have to swim, walk on water, or we're going to continue to float there, we're going to get to the other side. The problem is what they were going through, the storm, the wind and the waves, caused them to forget what God had said and forget who was with them. I've found out one doctor diagnosis, one financial crisis, one loss of job, one bad day can cause us to forget what God has promised us and not only forget what God has promised, forget what day it is. He said on the third day, did they forget that it was the third day? Yes. Why? Because sometimes you're in such a cloudy, just lost state, confused state that you don't know where you are. You don't know who you are and you don't know what time it is. Says... Remember, you know what I believe? That God's about to cause us to wake up and remember the promises that he's given for our lives. That he's given yeah. for this church. That he's given as prophecy over this area. I believe that people are about to wake up. Come, let me explain something real quick. These women went from confusion to direction in one encounter. And I believe that God's about to awaken us. He's about to cause us to remember the things that he has told us. The things that we laid in bed at one time that stole our sleep. That are caused, he's going to cause those things to happen again. I believe God's going to give us a sleep disorder called prayer. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. And it says this. It says, remember how he told you that while he was with you in Galilee, the son must be delivered over to the hands of Sinners be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered the words. While they were, uh, when they went back from the tomb, to the, uh, to the they told the, all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who were with them, and told these things to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. These were the apostles. These are the ones that saw Jesus raise people from the dead. But yet they didn't believe that Jesus could be raised from the dead. It says that the apostles did not believe 
their words because it seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know, I wish to God everybody would get this, but if just one person gets up to go find out for themselves whether or not Jesus has raised from, the, from death to life so that you can live, it's all worth it. Come on. Watch, watch what I'm about to say here. It says that the 11 apostles could not believe what these women were saying. You may say, well, man, I don't understand why they don't believe it. Because it's the same thing that when I was telling you a little girl had been completely healed of third degree burns. There were people in this room that don't believe that either. And the reason we don't believe it is because we've never seen it. And sometimes our belief is completely linked on what our eyes have seen. And I believe with everything inside, God's about to awaken us. See, one of my greatest fears as a child was that on Christmas morning, I would wake up with such high expectations of all the things that would be found under the tree for me, but instead only to find out that my behavior for the past year was rewarded with coal. <laughs> or nothing was under the tree for me constantly I was reminded I better be good because Santa was watching and making a list and if I wasn't good enough I, I would be on the naughty list and Santa would bring me coal for Christmas I don't know who created that stupid <laughs> not going to ruin anybody's lies but let me just explain what it means in today. He's not going to bring you coal. He's just going to take your phone charger. <laughs> We're taught that how you act will create what you deserve to receive. And if you are not good enough, you receive something that is completely worthless. You receive, now let me explain something. I was the worst of the worst. I, if you've ever heard my story, I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. I was an alcoholic. You know one thing I never got is cold. Not one stinking time. <clears throat> I found myself cringing at the melody of the song. I'm getting nothing for Christmas as the lyrics echoed through my head. I would be reminded of all the wrong things that I had done. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and Daddy are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas because I ain't been nothing but bad. Whoever wrote that song failed English. <laughs> ain't been nothing <laughs> but bad. I mean, that's like quadruple negatives. <laughs> but the reality of it was... I feared that my actions would dictate what I received. And it seemed to perfectly describe my habitual behavior with such a harsh reality of what I could anticipate receiving for Christmas that year. And the fact was that I didn't try to be bad, but that type of behavior just seemed to come so natural for me. And no matter how hard I tried, I always seemed to fall short of being good enough. And Christmas Day would then fast approach. And no matter how bad I had been that year, I always found gifts of grace under the tree. Amen. Let me say it again. I don't know if anybody else ever expected to receive coal, but they walked up in that morning, in the Christmas of that morning, and you found gifts of grace under the tree. 
that turned your anticipation of disappointment into delight as you tore away the colorful wrapping paper to reveal each and every present that you so desperately desired and earnestly asked for had been received. See, the very thing that I love and am grateful for today is explained by something that I once feared, getting nothing. See, let me further explain. In John chapter 1, verses 3, I'm going to challenge you to quick, quickly flip there. John chapter 3, or chapter 1, verses 3. I'm going to show you that God actually created it. John chapter 1, verses 3 says God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. Let me say it again. God created everything through him. How many of you believe God created everything? Amen. But I'm going to show you he created stuff that we don't even acknowledge or know exists. It says, and God created everything through him and nothing. How many of you believe that God created nothing? He actually created nothing. It says that only nothing was created by him. That no one else, not a scientist, not a doctor, no one else could create nothing. It was only created except through him. See, what is the greatest gift that you've ever received? What made it the greatest gift? You received it, uh, that you needed it, you desired it, you desperately wanted it. Its purpose, its usefulness, the enjoyment that it brought. Everyone else had it, no one else had it. See, we sometimes base the value of our gift that we receive on our desire for it. But what if I was to say one of the greatest gifts that could ever be received is a direct byproduct of another gift given to us is explained in John chapter 3, verses 6. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let me say it this way. Do you know that God gave us a gift inside of the gift? That the gift, the son, actually brought something else with him. And a lot of us don't realize it. See, this gift being something that would confuse us and would ultimately complain about if it was given to us to unwrap. I guarantee that you would look at me funny when holding this gift in your hands, but the truth is that this gift does not need to be wrapped or unwrapped. This gift simply needs to be recognized, embraced, and, and because what you do not recognize, you'll never acknowledge, and once you recognize the value of this gift, you will do everything in your power to never lose it. What is this gift I'm talking about? I'm talking about the gift of nothing. Nothing as a gift would seem meaningless, cruel, humiliating, discouraging, confusing, frustrating, even instigating to receive. But what if I was to say one of the greatest gifts that you could ever receive is the gift of nothing? I asked my bride because I received this message. I wrote this message out of a prayer time where God, I was just, I, I don't know if you've ever had those prayer times where you're complaining. And God, if you'd only do this, and if only did this, and only did this, then I wouldn't have to do this. And God said, I've done a whole lot. Stop focusing on the things that I haven't done. Start focusing on the things I have done. I asked my bride this question, what if, let's just say, I want your full, true answer. What if we went to a really nice restaurant, we sat down, and as I sat down, I put a gift, a really small square box with a bow on it, on top of the table, and said, after dinner, you get to open it. I said, what would you expect it to be? Ladies? Ring, jewelry, something, right? Expensive things come in small packages. I said, so all of a sudden I say, okay, it's time to open the gift. And you unwrap it and you take the bow and set it to the side. And you open up and you realize that there's a box inside of the box. A gift inside of the gift. And you pull out and this one's velvety and you're like, oh my gosh, you went to Jerry's. 
<laughs> Every kiss begins with K. Oh, this is going to be good. And all of a sudden, she's nervous, and she's like, honey, I love you so much. Her hands are sweating. She's like, eyes are twinkling. Oh, my gosh, I love you so much. Honey, you didn't have to buy me nothing, but I'm so glad you did. And all of a sudden, as you click open that box, you find that it's filled with nothing. Did I miss something? What is it? Oh, it's nothing. Why in the world would you give me nothing? Because it's one of the greatest gifts I can ever give you in our marriage. I guarantee she would start shaking, but it wasn't because of excitement. That would be fury. <laughs> that spark. You know what's crazy? Let's just be honest. Remember how we just heard about the whole love respect thing? Pink, blue. How come the same look that a woman gives you when she's flirting with you is the same look when you get married after years is the same look that she gives you when she's about to kill you? <laughs> Just exactly. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, that little, I like, do. Yeah. You start packing your own bag. You're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? It's those blue sunglasses. She said I'd be upset. And I said, but baby girl, it's the greatest gift I can give you. And I'll explain it here in just a moment. Let me define the word nothing. If you were to look into Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the word nothing means not anything. It means no single thing, no thing. Of no value, not at all, not anything, not a bit. Here's my favorite one. Not, it means absence of attendance. Absence of attendance. So ultimately, the question must be answered, is nothing actually something? Church. Beloved, is nothing actually something? See, I believe nothing is actually something. I believe it is truly one of the greatest gifts that God gives us as his children. And until nothing is, is taken away, it's hard to comprehend how valuable nothing really is. See, nothing is one of the most precious commodities that wealth cannot buy, wisdom cannot understand, and human ability cannot repair. Without nothing, did you know our worlds would collapse? Without nothing. Let me give you a proof of it. Job chapter 26. Job, flip over there quickly. Job 26, verses 7. I'm going to prove that our worlds would collapse without nothing. Job 26, verses 7. This is what it says. He stretches out the north over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. Now, we, we've just decorated trees and took them down and hiding our trees now. But when you were putting those ornaments on the tree, what did you hang that ornament on? A branch. Take away the branch, what happens to the ornament? It falls. So God hangs our earth in perfect balance, in perfect rotation. He hangs it on the branch of nothing. So you take away the branch and our worlds would collapse. Have you ever thanked God for nothing? Went to the altar and said, God, thank you for nothing. You're about to. Let me explain why you should thank God for nothing. What if nothing was wrong at home? What if the doctors found nothing wrong with you or someone you loved? What if you have nothing discouraging you, nothing to be insecure about, nothing to disappoint you, nothing troubling you, nothing to be sad about? What if you have nothing to worry about? What if you have nothing to be depressed about? What if you have nothing to be afraid of? What if you have nothing to be angry about? What if you're bound by nothing? What if you're addicted by nothing? What if you have nothing hurting? So all of a sudden now, nothing is something. 
and nothing can quickly become something. So truly we have nothing to lose, but once we lose it, it's hard to get back. Here's what I mean. What if, what if you have something wrong at home? What if the doctors find something wrong with you or someone that you love? Can I tell you right now that there are grown men on their knees in children's hospitals praying that the doctors would find nothing? When I looked at my bride and I said, let me explain why you should thank God that there is nothing in the box. Because I could have handed you some divorce papers. I could have told you I was having an affair. But instead of giving you something to complain about, I gave you nothing. I I not have eyes for another woman. I'm not looking to leave you. I'm content. Why? Because I have nothing better than right here. This is the best thing that God's ever given me. I said, now... Don't you want that box? I said, you take that box over a ring any day. Come on. I said, because the ring I already gave you caused that box to be empty. Amen. See, what if you have something discouraging you, something to be insecure about, something to disappoint you, something to be troubling you, something to be sad about, something to worry about, something to be depressed about, something to be afraid of, something to be angry about? What if you're bound by something? Do you know how many parents are praying that their kids would not be addicted to something? How many people woke up this morning and had something hurting? Maybe not just physically, maybe emotionally. So the gift of nothing seems like wordplay. But in reality, it's not that at all. However, as the truth further unfolds, our eyes will be made open to a greater understanding of why Jesus came and what he came with. See, Jesus was sent as a gift from the Father to mankind to be our Savior, our Healer, and our Deliverer. See, we look at deliverer as someone that sets you free. But can I tell you, there's a guy that my kids love inviting to our house that constantly delivers pizzas. <laughs> He's never set me free. He's put me in bondage. <laughs> See, we look at the terminology of deliverer as Jesus, what he set us free from. But let me ask you a question. What did he bring? What did Jesus bring? I believe he brought nothing. It was the gift inside of the gift. Here's what I mean. See, the Father sent Jesus to mankind to be our Savior, our healer, and our, our, and our deliverer. See, his life began in a borrowed manger. Had nothing. His life ended being nailed to a borrowed cross. Lived with nothing. And he was buried in and resurrected from a borrowed tomb. The scriptures declare that throughout the gospels that Jesus came with nothing, lived with nothing, and ultimately he died with nothing. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That day those women were looking, went looking for a body, but what they were originally searching for was not there. They were looking for the living amongst the dead. They were looking for life in dead places and in dead things, but instead they found nothing in the tomb. However, that what they found not only forever changed their lives, but changed our lives. The Father gave us the gift of nothing, and it was delivered by Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Who in being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. 
by taking on the very nature of a servant being being made in in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man as man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross nothing is expensive and it was paid for on the cross and wrapped in the tomb nothing was there see a lot of people worship that symbol up there but let me explain something to every person in this room the cross didn't save anybody the one who died on it did Amen. You know what the you know what the cross is? Nothing more than an ugly pry bar that God used to pry open the hand of the enemy that was ripped, gripped around mankind. Can I tell you that the price was paid on that cross? The cross was simply the tool that God used to pry open the hands of hell that were gripped on mankind. The purpose of the cross was to rescue mankind, but the product of the cross was to res restore mankind. See, the purpose of the resurrection, because everything that God did was had a purpose. So what was the purpose of the resurrection? It wasn't for God. It was actually for man. The purpose of the resurrection was not to rescue Jesus from death or even release him from the grave, but instead to reveal restoration of all mankind. Can I tell you something just very intriguing to me? God didn't need the stone to be removed so Jesus could get out. Jesus needed the stone to be removed so that we could get in. Amen. You want proof of it? Jesus could walk through walls. It says in the disciples, read in the book of Acts, and they were in a room with closed locked doors, and all of a sudden Jesus walked through the doors. Jesus does not need keys. Jesus does not need the only door Jesus can't walk through is the door of your heart, and that's why he's standing at the door still knocking. But he didn't need the stone to be removed for him to get out. He needed the stone to be removed so that we could get in and find what? Nothing. 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 No thing. Oh, wait a second. Remember I told you my favorite definition of nothing was absence of attendance. Mm -hmm. There was no sin. There was, no, there was absence of attendance of disease. There was absence of attendance of shame and of guilt. There was nothing in the tomb that could any, any longer hold us back from what God had called us to be. And that was sons and daughters of his. To do what he had called us to do. No thing was in that tomb that could stop us any further. That is why the angels were there stating what, what you're looking for is not here. There is nothing in this tomb. The, there is nothing in here in, of life. The life that you're looking for, the life that you're longing for is in Jesus alone. Find him. And you'll find the life that you desire. Amen. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. I've never been there. I want to go so bad. But I can make one promise to you. Go to the tomb of Jesus and you will find nothing. You won't even find his presence in the tomb. Because when he got out, he got out. He didn't leave a little bit of dusting of his presence. He pulled all of it back. Why? Because if he left any of his presence, we'd still be looking in a tomb trying to find life. And he said, there's no life. Turn around. As soon as these women turned around in the, in, in the book of Luke, who did they see? They saw Jesus. Yep. See? But from now on, nothing can stop us. Thank God for nothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10, having nothing yet possessing everything. 
Can I tell you, that little girl had absolutely no medical experience. She had never went to a day of, of, of medical school, but yet she had more understanding on how she was healed than doctors that had been studying it for 30 years. Yes. She had everything. I would have loved Pastor Matt to be in that room when that doctor was trying to scientifically explain <laughs> how that skin disappeared and new skin appeared. And him get absolutely no credit. <laughs> it's the same thing that when marriages should be falling apart and all of a sudden God restores the love between a husband and a bride and they fall in love again and what the enemy has been trying to pull apart, God puts back together. It's the same thing that a person that maybe you're in this room right now and you shouldn't even be here. Maybe by sickness, but yet you're still here. One of my favorite, one of my favorite stories, and I'm going to go just a couple minutes longer if you'll just give me a little bit of grace. I love proving the scripture right. Right? I love when I get into scripture, I wanna, I'm like trying to find the fingerprints on everything. I'm like looking for DNA samples and hair follicles. <laughs> So I, I wanted to know what a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years looked like. Right? Woman's been bleeding for 12 years. And it says she'd spent everything she had. And instead of getting better, she grew worse. And she goes to Jesus and she touches him. And Jesus says, your, your faith has healed you. Go your way. Right? What does that woman look like? So who better to know than a blood specialist? So I called a blood specialist, a doctor. And I said, hey, listen, I have a couple questions. And she said, well, you have to pay my hourly fee. It was like $189. Insurance does not cover your desire for wisdom. Okay? If I was dying, I probably could have got it paid for. But I was just wanting to know. So I paid the $189 sitting in her office. And I, said these, this, this, I asked her this question. I said, here's my question. What would a woman that's been bleeding for 12 years look like? And she got the most evil grin. And she says, well, it's physically impossible because with every drop of blood is a drop of life. So the woman would have been dying on a regular basis. And it's impossible for a person to be dying on a regular basis with every drop of blood is a drop of fluid. She would have been dehydrated. So therefore, her bones would have begun to, begin to uh, dry out. The marrow inside would have become dry. She would have ended up having bones that like chalk. It would have crushed. She said her skin would have become like elastic, it would have lost the elasticity. It would have become like, like uh, uh, paper. And her walking would cause her bones to burst through her feet. Her muscles would begin to crystallize. Her veins would begin to harden. And she said, are you re giving reference to the Bible story? And I said, yeah. And she goes, it's a lie. There's no way a woman can bleed every day for 12 years. It's impossible, scientifically proven impossible. Now I'm feeling they're kind of stupid right now. Like what I came to find information is kind of letting the air out of my balloon. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, well, the first miracle I did was not heal her. The first miracle I did was keep her alive long enough to heal her. That's 
<laughs> and all of a sudden I said, well, and I just shared it, and she just looked at me, and she said, you will always find excuses as long as you're looking for them instead of finding the truth. And I just looked at her, and I said, let me explain something. I shouldn't be sitting here, but God had to keep me alive long enough for me to share this with someone else. Can I tell you, you may not, should not be here, but God's kept you alive for what? To find nothing. And actually do something with what you have found. <coughs> So today and for all eternity, I am extremely grateful for the gift of nothing that God has given to us. And, and I'm here to tell you that because of the gift of nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God. See, nothing. It was absence of attendance. Let me go ahead and get my friend up on the piano. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 31. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible. Just I love the way it's paraphrased. Just love the way that it's worded. It says this, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line by, uh, for us by embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else that God would gladly and freely do for us? And who would there then tear, there tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger at him? The one who died for us, who was raised alive for us, is, is now in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us do you think that there is anyone going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us there is no way not trouble not hard times not hatred not hunger not homelessness not 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 bullying threats not backstabbing backstabbing not even the worst sins listed in scripture none of this faces us because Jesus loves us I'm absolutely convinced that nothing listen to this part gets a little exciting Nothing, nothing living, nothing dead, nothing angelic, nothing demonic, nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing high, nothing low, nothing thinkable and nothing unthinkable. No drug, no past decision, no regret, no mistake, no shame, no sickness, no disease, no addiction, no depression, no stronghold, no insecurity, no doubt, no anger, no fear, no chain, no pain, no, no, no person, no distance, no deception, no rejection, no thing, no one, nothing can absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love for us because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. I thank God for nothing. Because it was on a, on a Sunday night in November of 1996. I grew up in church. Grew up in church, was called into ministry when I was 14, started preaching the gospel, traveling when I was 16 years old. And ran away from it. Got so addicted to drugs and pornography and alcohol, suicidal. And something happened that Sunday morning. My bride had a head-on collision with God. I mean, she walked in and she was glowing. I mean, I call her fire because she's hot, but she was radiant that day. She walked in and she was glowing. And she told me I had to go to church with her that day. I was actually packing my bag to leave her. I was going to leave my three-month-old baby girl. I was lost. And I didn't want to take them down the road where I was headed. And she, she intersected intercepted that that direction I was going and she begged me to go to church with her that night and I told her I'll go but it'll be the last time I walk into that building you know why because I knew what I could expect there'll be three songs there'll be three points there'll be a plea and a people begging you to come to the altar you'll go to the altar for five to ten minutes maybe shed a few tears and get up and absolutely nothing happens I walked in that day and something was different I sat on the third row and I 
they started singing. I didn't stand up. I put my head down, leaning on the pew in front of me, and I just sat there just angry. And the more anger that I expressed, the more love of God I felt. And all of a sudden, song after song, I don't remember one song that they sang. And all of a sudden, I do remember my pastor standing up there preaching. I don't remember a word he said. I don't remember a scripture. I don't remember a point. But all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you go to the altar right now, I'll change you. I'll change every part of you. And I said, God, if I go to that altar, I don't want to look the same, act the same, talk the same, walk the same. I don't even want to smell the same. God, and if you change all of me, I'll go anywhere and I'll tell anyone about you. I didn't realize I was signing up for world evangelism. I said, Lord, I will text anybody. I will send them a letter. But when you're desperate, you're desperate. You don't care. And the Lord said, get up there now. And I'm like, but the altar call, he's not invited. He's not begged anybody to come yet. And the Lord says, I'm not waiting on man. I'm waiting on you. And I stood up, uninvited, went down to that altar. And oh my gosh. See, I was bound over here. I was addicted pastor over here. I was lost. I was suicidal. I was hurting over here. But what I didn't know is before I had got there, the Holy Spirit had set all these gifts up. He had set joy and peace. And he had keys to my chains. He had keys to my bondages. He had freedom for my addictions. He had all these things. See, he even restored my marriage, Melody. Never saw it because he's the same God of the invisible and the visible. And some things I didn't see. See, nothing you can't see. But he knew I was there. Just like, see, what you don't understand. He set, while you were still sleeping, he set some gifts. See, somebody needs some physical healing. And it's right over there. But let me explain something. This is a buffet. This isn't a table where somebody comes and serves you. If you want it, you have to be willing to go get it. Somebody needs some physical healing in their body. Somebody needs their marriage restored. Somebody has a prodigal son or a daughter that they've been praying for. And God's saying, listen, I've got it. You just have to be willing to come exchange your fear for my peace, your pain for my healing. You've got to be willing to give me your hurt for your trouble, for my trust. Everything changed. And from that moment on, and for all the days of my life, it is my goal to thank God for nothing. Because if it wasn't for nothing, I would not be here to this day. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? Could you imagine if someone that walked in this room, Pastor Matt, that was discouraged and defeated, almost didn't come here because of depression. Could you imagine if they found joy at this altar today? they had something but it became nothing and God's not going to put joy on top of your pain he's going to take your pain and then put joy in its place but there has to be that transfer where there is nothing there because God feels the nothing Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do. But this is where I have to get out of the way. I can't change them. I can't heal a body. I can't save a soul. I can't deliver anything. God, I can deliver a message, but I cannot deliver a person. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would step in and do what only you can do at this very moment. I pray that there would be physical healings. I pray, Father, that joy would be restored. That depression would lose its grip. God, I pray that you would turn a whole lot of something into a whole lot of nothing. 
I pray that people are sitting in a restaurant saying, well, what did you get out of church today? Well, you're not going to believe this, but I got nothing. But I'm so grateful for it. My marriage was falling apart, but nothing's wrong with it now. Oh, my kids were lost, but they're not lost anymore. I was bound, but I'm bound by nothing. See, Jesus, when he was taking that beating, when he was being paraded, mocked, he did the greatest thing that he could possibly do, and it was what he was sent to do, and it was to do nothing so that we could receive it. If I could get my prayer partners to come up forward and just begin to scatter across this church, I believe there's some people in this place that needs God to do nothing in their lives. Maybe you're, you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known his peace. Maybe you've never asked him to be your Lord, your Savior, your healer, your deliverer. And my words seem like nonsense. My words seem ridiculous. How could this be? I'm just going to ask you to come and find out for yourself. If you need Jesus to do something, if you need Jesus to touch your physical body, if you need Jesus to touch your emotions, if you need a financial miracle, if you need a job, if you need a miracle in your marriage, if you need a miracle in your family, I want you to begin to leave your seat right now. And I want you to come up to this altar. Listen, we don't need the, we don't need all of the descriptions of what you need. Just come with your something and come and get nothing. Come on all over this place right now. Don't make me beg you because I won't. I will not beg you for something that you desperately need and desire. You have to want it more than staying the same. So I'm going to ask every person in this room, I break fear off of you. Don't worry about if you're the only one that comes forward. Don't worry about if anybody else comes with you. If you need God to do something in your life, I want you to leave your seat and I want you to come down to this altar. And whether you have somebody pray for you or you pray for yourself, I want you to come and grab a hold of what God prepared. Come on, church. All over this place, my friend's going to begin to worship. Do not miss this opportunity. God, I pray physical healings. I pray, Father, miracles to you where there were growths, where there were masses. I pray that they would be turned into nothing. I pray where there was diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol. God, I pray, Father, where there were blind spot, spots in their eyes. I pray, Father, where there was deafness in their ears. I pray that there would no longer be those things. Turn it into nothing. Turn it into nothing. Turn it into nothing. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you.